3: Hi, I'm Sophia Ansari, and welcome to Earwolf Presents, featuring an episode of our show, Podcrushed. Earwolf Presents is an anthology podcast feed full of comedy and conversations from the Earwolf universe of podcasts, and occasionally, like this week, you'll hear a special feature from Stitcher friends and colleagues. We have just launched Podcrushed. It's all about people's middle school stories, so we get into the awkward, the cringy, the meaningful. I think you're going to love it. This episode features our guest, Drew Barrymore, and It's a great listen because Drew gets into the details of what it's like to be a child actor, but I think her stories prove that the struggle of those years, it's universal. So thanks for tuning in to Earwolf Presents this week. You can follow Podcrush on Apple Podcasts, SiriusXM, or wherever you enjoy your podcasts.
2: And this guy was like, so what are you going to tell your kids about, like, how screwed up you were? And first, I wanted to, like, you know level him <laughs> yeah i, d- really, I did it, i was yeah. like i'm going to like get you How and awful. i'm so yeah. rebellious that it, i was just like oh god do it i'm going to keep it together <laughs> this car comes in here with a ah. <laughs>
0: Hey, pod Crushers. Hey, wow. Do not yeah, no I was starting. Pod
3: Crushers, no Pod Crushers, not. A, no. Pod Crushers. I think we should <laughs> hey, use pod all crushers.
0: of this. We I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> this is behind the scenes. I've tried to record this intro a few times and it's just too long. And and it's because we have a guest who needs no introductions. So guess what? I didn't introduce her. <laughs> The moment she appeared on our screens, talking to us, we just like we just got rolling. I will say her name with reverence and levity and admiration as it deserves. Drew Barrymore graced us with her presence today. Evidently Drew is, is a real fan of, of my show. You. And me. (laughs) So basically there's just like, there's these three people, Danielle Schneider, Casey Wilson, and Drew Barrymore. And they had this back and forth where they would talk about my show, You, saying, I love you. And then another person being confused by it. So, so they, they have, like, you-not-you you mugs. They really have their, like, this running uh, joke. I mean, that...
3: I'm confused. <laughs> <laughs> right. No,
0: and I, I, I wasn't aware of it, but it was a thing. It was becoming a thing that the people who follow their show, like, really, really know and love. Mm. So Danielle invited We're me on Drew's show to, to surprise something
1: her. Big, so I decided I need to give you you. And by you, I mean
0: Penn Badgley. What? Is this is this where I say something? <laughs> oh it was like, is this real? I don't know. Is this yeah. real? Oh yeah! Oh
3: my it God! God. That, so fun! You had told us about it, but I didn't realize how, oh how yeah. intense Why it was.
2: You, I wish you would stand <laughs> outside my window and care about what I was thinking and behaving and feeling, and I just I kill, know. Me kill me Kill me
0: Dad! I'm sorry.
3: Drew and Casey There's are so like. Fully in their bodies. Like it's a full body reaction. Yeah, to like you, I Penn. like they were they
0: went upside down for real. And I
3: loved it. I feel like it really reminded me of the story that we're going into on this episode. This is one of my favorite stories. I say that about a lot of them, but this really is one of my favorites. It's called The Wallflower, and it's a real life middle school story submitted by a listener
1: and read to us by Penn. Sophie's
0: got about 30 favorites. <laughs>
1: But let's roll to this favorite, the wallflower. And after that, we'll chat with Drew.
0: In seventh grade, I transferred from a private Catholic school in Maryland to a public school in an affluent area of Houston. And the year was 1988. Crocodile Dundee was all anyone talked about, and skorts were all the rage. I was a little chubby and a lot cute, but I had no friends. Despite all this, my mom managed to convince me that it would be a great idea to go to the middle school dance. So I went alone. And I felt so awkward. I I stood around on the outskirts of the dance floor just waiting for someone. Anyone, come talk to me, please. It seemed like everybody else had their person. Then, I heard it the greatest song of all time pour some sugar on me by Def Leppard. the music it, it it took a hold of me and i couldn't stop myself and at some point my eyes closed my head was thrown back i'm singing at the top of my lungs I I mean, by the time we get to the first course, I'm fully engaged. My limbs are flailing. I'm headbanging. My feet, who who knows what my feet are doing. So the song ends. I open my eyes. The entire school surrounding me, every eye trained on me, mouths agape. I believe several students may have been laughing at my expense. Apparently, I was no longer the seventh grade wallflower. Look, my every thought turned towards death. Please just let me pass out and ascend right here, right now. Of course, no such thing happened. Instead, I ran away dramatically to the nearest payphone. I called my mom, bawling. I blamed her for forcing me to go and humiliate myself. To this day, at age 44, I can only dance when properly intoxicated, and I can never listen to that sugary sweet hit without wanting to vom.
1: Hello. Welcome.
0: Hi! Oh my you just walked off your set, didn't you? You just walked off. Stage. I would
2: not look like this if I <laughs> didn't right. just walked right off the set. Wow, Thank We're you. honored. Oh Thank gosh. you for asking me to come on today. Drew,
1: I am truly feeling starstruck. I know you don't know who I am, but we've done many interviews in this. And we're is the gonna first keep it that time. way. I'm not gonna
0: introduce them. Pen
1: never introduces us. We, before you came on, we we're like, Pen,
3: can you please introduce us? This to Drew time? Well,
0: it's it's well documented that I'm not. You know, I'm learning how to be a host, Drew. As I guess you. You are too, but you're like killing the game.
2: Oh, God, thank you. And it doesn't feel that way at all. (laughs) But I I was listening to a clip in preparation for this, you guys, from the story. And I think it's such a secret weapon and recipe of your current show, You, is your voice Mm -hmm. is so conducive to storytelling You have a perfect voice to do the narration and the voiceover in the show. And I was just captivated at word one. It's very soothing, your voice. I feel like when life gets really scary... It would be a good thing to tune into your voice.
0: Yeah. Well, but what do I do? What, <laughs> <Yeah>. about when-
3: <laughs> what about when your life gets scary?
2: <laughs> what about me? <laughs> I don't know if you're going to be able to do it for yourself, that's, but you will do it for everybody else.
0: That's very, very kind.
2: Penn's wife
3: Domino. Is maybe the only person who has like a a sweeter, more mellifluous
2: voice than Pen.
0: You know, she really does. I actually.
2: agree. It's very mellifluous. One of my favorite words ever. Right. I yeah. love you, God, sexy. <laughs> I say the dictionary is my biggest um, one. Of, one of the great loves of of life. And mm-hmm. uh, you had me at mellifluous. Oh, yeah.
1: thank you. <laughs> Drew, last night I had my dad over for dinner. This is a bit of a non sequitur, but he, we've interviewed several guests and and all amazing. There hasn't been like a dud in the bunch, but I told him we were interviewing you and he started crying and he was like, oh I'm so happy God. for you. Oh Drew oh, Barrymore, she's a national treasure. And he hasn't reacted oh. like that to anyone. It was like the sweetest reaction. And then I started crying and I was like, yeah, like I'm going to interview Drew Barrymore. So just I wanted to say that because it was so That's sincere. So <laughs> What's your dad's name? His name is Tommy Cavillin. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: Hi, Tommy. <laughs> he's going to oh. die. He's going to die. He's, I know he's going to love gonna
0: that. He's going to die. He's going <laughs> to Oh, my God.
2: That, it's funny. Okay, so here is what I went through emotionally when you just told me that story. Mm. It made me feel very excited and proud to be someone in his eyes that seemed okay and even as someone who's just hearing about Tommy and his reaction, I'm like, oh, I'm so relieved not to be a hot mess or a sad case or mm. I, I, I'm i so relieved that your dad feels that way. <laughs>
3: Yay! <laughs> okay, Drew, we actually we want to get your reactions to the story. So
2: I want to know, do you relate to this girl at all? What were you like as a teenager? Well, when the story ended... I just thought those are the best moments that can happen to somebody. They feel like the worst moments, Mm. but they're the moments that inform you of how you're going to treat other people Mm. and not make them feel like that and not let them feel like that. Like Mm. maybe you're a a barrier to bad and a conduit to something better. That is the breeding ground of empathy. Mm. So I'm sorry that that happened. And I'm so glad that that happened because the end of that story is the beginning of the beauty.
3: The moment where she's on the dance floor and she's just completely lost in it and, like, her body's flailing. Mm. I mean, even reading that story and, and hearing Penn narrate it, I'm like, savor
2: that moment. That's mm. the, Those are the best
0: That's moments. flow state.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think circumstantially people might have different stories but i'm convinced so many of the feelings are the same Mm
0: -hmm. yeah i really feel the same way i mean i do recall maybe telling a story about growing up in hollywood and passing and somebody who didn't do that might marvel at the circumstances and then i say well you know but i I really do feel like it's it's the same it's just more extreme you've for for most of your life you've been very transparent and vocal about your tribulations growing up
1: Mm
2: -hmm.
0: in this industry yeah, And, you know, I, I did not have the extremity of the circumstances you did. <laughs> but, I, but I did share in a lot of that. I mean, you know, I was, I was emancipated, uh, not legally, but, but I didn't need to go to school anymore once I was 13. I had the equivalent of a high school diploma. So I didn't have to work child hours. I didn't have the child labor laws. Mm. And I had a lot of, of friends who were in similar boats. And so there's just something about growing up in Hollywood that more and more, I mean, I don't know, I'm 35 now and I'm and I'm still really chipping away.
2: I, it's funny because I'm binging Euphoria right now. And there's so much in that that I relate to. And that was my experience that was not the Hollywood side of it. Like at mm-hmm. a certain point, my mom was a single mom. Like we were living in the valley and... I wasn't working, so there weren't, like, there wasn't really income coming into the house, and Mm -hmm. I was so, like, out of control and, like, partying and just rebelling and lying to my mom, and she was doing crazy stuff, and it was nuts, and I'm watching Euphoria going... A lot of people are looking at that show as art that they don't relate to. So they're talking about the cinematography. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, I've been institutionalized. I've been left in those crazy places. I have been on Mm -hmm. weird couches, at weird people's houses, on drugs, with, like, no hope in sight of, like, Mm -hmm. where life is going. To the point where you're like, screw it. I've got nothing to lose. I don't even think I'm saying I want to not be on this planet, but... I'm just living a a very bizarre existence and the edge is fun. I'm Mm. young, I'm an idiot, I'm invincible, I'm immortal. Screw y'all, I'm doing this. And then I'm watching as a parent just going, how, how do you not, know that your kids are selling themselves for Bitcoin <laughs> so that they can buy drugs. <laughs> like, what in the hell? Spoiler alert. You, you
1: can buy drugs
3: with Bitcoin?
2: <laughs> Apparently. That was, that was
3: originally, I think, what Bitcoin was used
0: for. Not just drugs, though, right? It well, was used for... Uh, yeah, was, as well. I didn't
2: know you get... In the show, you just get cash for the Bitcoin, too. Yeah. I'm like, is that how Bitcoin works? <laughs> yeah, like, we're all getting a lesson on Bitcoin
1: from Euphoria. Yeah. And I was wondering, Drew, because you obviously, like... You know, the. I think the tide is shifting, hopefully, in a positive way for women and, like, appropriate treatment of children, but I can't imagine what you were subjected to in the 80s and 90s, and, and also knowing, obviously, to some degree, the challenging, like, home environment that you had. I feel like a lot of people could have become bitter or hard, and you're— known for like a characteristic sweetness and kindness. And I wanted to know, how did you, you, to the degree that you're aware, how have you been able to shield your heart from bitterness and like find joy and kindness? And h- how have you risen up like that?
2: I feel very positive about everything. And I've always worked on myself with well, like my mom threw me in an institution at 13. because She just didn't know what to do with the monster she created. <laughs> it was the best thing she could have ever done because wow. it was So hardcore and such Mm -hmm. a wake up call and such a cold water in your face freak out. They just would work us in groups and therapy and talking about everything out in front of each other.
0: Were you with kids your age?
2: Yeah. And it was an adult ward too. So we saw some very colorful characters who were older um, so you kind of knew where you were headed if you didn't get it together, wow. so it was oh my great. Wow. But yeah, I was with kids, and the the institution was very deep in North Valley, so there was no Hollywood, there was no Malibu, Bullshit patina. It was like yeah, the
0: valley can get really. Yeah, I lived in the valley, and I I lived I lived kind of deep in the valley in the beginning. And it's yeah, it's not
2: place. Hollywood. It's far from no, it.
0: No, no, not at all. All the
2: kids that I was. It's s-
0: like Euphoria. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm
2: not With less kidding. money, what it's I'm, isn't
0: Euphoria rich kids or are they? I don't
2: know. I've never seen it. Oh my God, buckle up! <laughs> I was totally <laughs> living Euphoria. It's shocking. Mm, like I, wow. there's so much I recognize in my life about that show that I'm just like oh. Oh my God, thank God I survived that. Mm. Um, but uh, great cinematography. <laughs> <laughs> there, There are some things that like only with my therapist will I share mm. and things I saw or experienced that I just wouldn't want children to be around or a part of. But a lot of, you know, people will find themselves in like crazy circumstances and have to figure out how to navigate that. That's very universal. The stuff everybody knows about, I think I had too much access to too much stuff. But I really take responsibility for like, where and how I handled everything like, there wasn't anyone there. So maybe there's no one there to blame also. Mm -hmm. And I screwed it all up. You know, (laughs) it's like, uh, uh, I got all this stuff put in my hands, and I blew that shit up. You know, <laughs> I really did. And but then I wasn't was like,
0: "Stuff in your hands." Okay, so I, I, I hear you. I totally hear you. And I think <laughs> I, like your, I think your perspective is 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 like is has a lot of truth to it. It's admirable. You have what I think we could call the human spirit. Like you are resilient. Thank you. you do have a, you do have a, a light that shines through. It's actually just like kind of joyous to talk to you. Which is <laughs> yeah, which is so which is really to sweet
1: to talk to you.
0: But, like, I think it's becoming abundantly clear that that sort of, quote-unquote, privilege and access is not— I mean, what's it a privilege to? Like, people just destroying right. themselves? Like, that, quicker mm-hmm. like access to, to, like, personal dynamite? Like, I don't know. I, yeah. I, think, I, I don't think anybody who's gone through it would wish it on anyone. You have participated in a lot of joy-inducing projects from your youngest age to now. And just doing a bit of research before talking to you, I went back and I watched some of these interviews from when you were like 7 and 9 and 12 and 15. At that age, do you recall how you felt about all of that?
2: On the world tour of E.T., a moment happened that uh really changed my life forever. I just realized that I was lucky to be connected to people. Mm. And uh, we did travel the world, went to many countries. And E.T. was so much about a collective experience.
0: Yeah, it really was. I
2: saw so many people that seemed so emotional Watching it. I knew making it. We were emotional and joyful.
0: Were you at that age too? Like you were, like you could feel this sort of the specialness of the content. Cause I watched it with my stepson back when, God, he must have been probably eight or something. And my wife and I were looking over his head every now and then being like, Where the hell has this movie been all our <laughs> lives? This is <laughs> the most beautiful thing I've ever seen.
2: Yeah. Like was, you
0: felt that emotion, like at that age?
2: I know it's the moment that that shifted everything for me. I loved the people I was around and it was like the first time I felt whole was the first time I felt so safe in the world. And everything about that experience, I believe is what sort of formed me into the person I am and whatever has come to bite at the heels or... Question or doubt just has no ability to penetrate any of that. I've always felt like Norm from Cheers, like I'm just the dude at the end of the bar. That I do feel like I'm lucky in that way of like, I'm Norm, I'm a fixture at this bar of life. Mm. Mm. Wow. Yeah, I felt like that film. It's funny. There's actually, I hope I don't disconnect the entire operation,
1: but
0: I'm
1: actually looking at this picture. Oh, my God. That's so sweet. We should tell the listeners
0: what we just saw. That's a picture of you and Spielberg. He's,
1: like, cradling her, and she has the most tender look on her face. Yeah, very
0: tender. It's very, very, very tender. It's very sweet.
2: I'm embarrassed to even say it out loud, but Steven Spielberg, after E.T., saw kind of my home life during Mm -hmm. and kept me on and really took me into his life and under his wing and, you know, you're too young for red lipstick or, you know, mm. cover yourself up. Or, you know, I was, I didn't want him to see some of the really difficult things I was going through. And I didn't mm. realize it at the time. But um, I think the idea of wanting to make a parent who does put in the time to raise their kids, those are the people that you would like to make proud.
0: Actually, I can tell you. So, Drew, we we share, I don't want to like, you know, make too many assumptions, but I think you and I share a certain, you know, we've had the Hollywood experience and we know what it's like to, to not have as much parental influence from a young age. My two co-hosts, who I will now introduce, uh, <laughs> Nava Kaplan like, and Sophie Hello. Rutstein, welcome to Pod Crushed. Thank um, you for having
3: us. What I'm learning <laughs> as I do this with
0: them, and they've we've been friends for years, but as we kind of get into each other's stories growing up, mm-hmm. they had what I'm going to call uncharacteristic or uncommonly like sound positive healthy relationships with their parents who Mm. were together are together and i think i've learned a lot because i too like you will be like well surely there's this that (laughs) and the other and then just in my conversation with them i'll realize Wait, I'm doubting, um, like, the floor that is is underneath me. Yeah. Yeah,
3: I had and still have a very close relationship with my parents. And they themselves have this beautiful friendship. And they invited us in on that friendship, all their kids. But they were still able to maintain a parental role. And I think that balance is key. And I'm wondering for you, Drew, since you were a working child actor. And I'm making a lot of assumptions here, but... I'm thinking that that would kind of push you into a parental role and
2: give you a lot of power, potentially too much power. You're 100% right. I always knew that I was filling the parent role by working, and that felt like a lot of pressure too. Of course, yeah. Really, it's just a recipe for not respecting authority whatsoever.
3: Which, fair enough, if you're already being treated like an adult, in some of these really major ways. And then you're told, like, you're grounded. (laughs) I can imagine being
2: furious at that. It really makes you uh, subconsciously feel like I don't need to listen. It brought out a real inner rebellion in me. Did that happen to you, Penn?
0: It, It happened for me at a little bit of a later stage. By 15, I was starring... On my, f- I had my first, like, starring role on a show where I was number one on the call sheet working, you know, 12- and 13-hour days and bringing home, like, truly a living. Before that, my mom did still work. And um, by the time I was, like, yeah, 14, 15... You know, you go through long periods of not working, as you said, but you get these large chunks of money every now and then. And you go through periods of be- feeling like, whoa, I just got paid. Like, at least for the next week, anything goes, and I'm going to buy this guitar or something like that. And the, but then, you know, months later, you're like eating Taco Bell every meal because it's just what you got to do. And, and, then the, and then so I think over time, this pattern develops where you realize when mom says something to you that tries to place a barrier in front of you and when you are making money, <laughs> it's actually hard for me in this moment to think like what else parents <laughs> really have I'm not saying that there isn't a whole lot else to parenthood. I'm not saying that at right, all. Right, But I'm just saying, like, if you remove that foundation too early, it's just like, hmm. And I do recall one moment where I said to my mom, what the F are you going to do about it? <laughs>
1: <You know>. Wow. <gasps> what did she say?
0: Nothing.
3: Mm. Mm. Well, what can you say?
0: Yeah. Wow. I say this having having gone through and rehabilitated a lot of my relationship with her. And she actually, you know, I don't know if it's appropriate at all to all share here, she's done a lot that is, I think, uncharacteristically sort of uh moral in the world of stage moms. Cause th- for me, there was some real despair in the teens working in Hollywood and 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 I think there were some essential pillars, you know, as to use your word, Drew, that she sort of helped instill in me that that a lot of stage parents don't. Um, so, so, so when I say that there was this one moment, it was really just this one moment that I can recall where I said very clearly, I am doing something else, you know? And at that point I was probably 15, I think.
2: Yeah. it's, I think it's such a lesson to us all to not give up that power as a parent That's so much a part of the way our society is designed. And there are many young people out there who are forced to grow up Way too fast. Mm-hmm. And I really yeah. do mean outside of Hollywood. No. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, it's everywhere. Oh, yeah. There's circumstances. That's why I say so much about the feelings being so relative. There are just a lot of kids who are not able to have that structured trajectory of a societal childhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You will live at home by 18. You will not be working before you are 18. You will go to school. Th- these are... The threads that have unraveled for so many people from mm-hmm. their life sweater. And that's where I relate and think feelings are, are quite relative. I I know that it was when I was seven and on that world tour that I thought, oh, I could spend, maybe maybe life is about connecting with people. Mm. Even when it seemed like I was going to go so far away from that at a certain point and be that like burnout cliche, like over-excess, screwed-up actor who, you know, went by way of so many others. It's mm. a cliché, yeah. sadly, for a reason.
0: Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. I
2: just don't have darkness in me. Mm. I have light and love and a genuine, absolute care for other people. I think my big battle is keeping myself in the mix. I tend mm. to leave myself last to a dangerous degree. Mm -hmm. I don't take as good of care of myself as I should. Whenever I see wellness people, I'm like, oh God, what am I missing? Why don't I care enough to like elongate this carcass to the greatest potential? Why do I treat myself like a garbage can? I don't know, but I'm just trying to like bite down and get through it. I'm going to go back to the positive Mm -hmm. every single time, like a magnet. Like I cannot be pulled away from my love of the human beings and animals, but (laughs) human beings on this planet. Mm -hmm. I have made such a conscious choice Not to be someone who is a part of, like, dark shit. I don't want it. I don't want it. I've
0: made the same choice. I was
2: like, just like Penn. (laughs) But, no, you is not dark. You is amazing. There's a deliciousness, and everybody's on the feeder. The purge is dark.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair. You
2: is not that. You mm-hmm. is awesome, Pen. Mm-hmm. I also think you bring a lightness to it.
3: Absolutely, I, I think
0: you very
2: consciously bring a lightness.
0: We to make it. murder fun.
2: A hundred percent. Listen, everybody has a everybody has a little bit of revenge and a dark side. Like I could be a hippie talking about love all day long. You fuck with me, I'm gonna fuck with you right <laughs> back. I'm totally rebellious. We
0: went from ET to serial killer real quick.
2: <laughs> One thing I'm having a revelation about in life is extremes, and I'm realizing that I do live in the extremes. And I might have been born into extreme circumstances, and extremes have been far too often on the menu. Mm-hmm. Um, they, were, they
0: were all that was on the menu. I mean, totally. when you live, when you're working as a kid in Hollywood, I'm just saying, that not just for you. Like I did it too. It, it's 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 basically all that's on the menu.
2: Yeah, I am an extremist. Mm-hmm. And that might be like a beautiful and difficult aftermath and consequence of the life I've lived. Like everything I do is in extremes. If I season something, I'll over it. If I work out, I'll go all in until I injure myself. If I binge eat like, and just sit late at night, I'll order like 15 things off of a takeout menu and just sit there and snack on all of it. Like all if out. I love my kids, I will nuzzle in their ear and bite their cheek and like <laughs> tackle them Aww, yeah. and like just sniff them. until I, know, I do
0: the same thing.
2: Oh, that it's, new car smell is yeah, undeniable. No,
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Puppy breath is a thing. It's yeah. so good. <laughs> that first time when they've got like bad morning breath and you're uh, yeah. like, oh my God. <laughs> I've heard about that. I am so determined to have my kids have a different experience than I had only in the terms of like, oh God, how could I... Foster a life that won't want to make them go and get into nefarious things. Mm.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: That's pretty much like goal number one. Like they're babies, you want to keep them alive. They're toddlers. You're, you're. I think you are trying. The parent <laughs> is trying to stay alive. Nobody talks about how crazy toddler years are, but they're mm. nuts. I mean, right now,
0: and in a pandemic too. Which is
2: oh my mm. god, it's 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 a lot, and it's the it greatest, is. but it's mm. one of the trickiest times. I think of. The parenting journey I've experienced so far. And then you're like, oh my God, it's quickly becomes about behavior and mm, yeah. um, processing and emotional reaction and all of this much heavier stuff. Mm. And it's a never ending roller coaster of awesomeness. <laughs> but when you're going from like, let me just keep you alive to let me just like hold on tight into, oh my God, now we've really gotten to get, get into the work of how to be a human on Mm. this planet Mm. and handle and cope and imprint and react and all of that stuff. It's so wild. I never, I'm just, I'm glad this is where my focus is now. And I, I hope that I'm going to have two teenage girls on my hands. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I'm just yeah. really hoping that all of my life experiences will, like, set me up for success in some way. Because I I know I'm going to screw it up. But, God, I really want to get it as right as possible.
0: But by, by the way, real quick, how old are they?
2: Frankie will be eight in April. So, right around the corner next month. Um, and Olive will be ten in September. Okay. I, I am loving this stage. It's really, really, really great. I'm having mm. so much fun with it.
3: Oh, yeah. 10 is the best. I used to teach fifth grade, and so there were 10 coming in and 11 going out, and I'm obsessed with that age. It's so sweet and funny, and, like, they're just starting to get the hang of sarcasm. And <laughs> yeah. Yes, of she under- would love Olive. She
2: has wicked sarcasm and <laughs> sense mm. of humor. Do
0: Do you feel like, given your experiences, I mean, it must give you a little bit like anything they they think they want to do is rebellion. You'd be like, listen, been there, been there, done that. And and even well-documented, you can watch me then. I don't even have to tell yeah. you now. You can watch me then. I mean, it's, it's an interesting toolkit you might have.
2: Thank you. You're the first person that's ever said it like that. And I've always thought of it that way. Now, maybe I'm totally fooling myself. And every parent who has teenage kids and who has lived through that can roll their eyes or laugh at me. Sure, yeah, there's Um, nothing,
0: there's no uh, Mm catch-all.
2: There's no manual and there's no preparation for what I have in store for me. But I do, you're the first person that has articulated that. I feel like I've got a great toolbox going into this. Mm -hmm. Totally. I remember when somebody asked me, um, it was like a journalist, and you know Penn, You know, when you get in those rooms, journalists kind of mess with you sometimes and they think they can kind of ask you anything. And there feels sometimes like a gotcha experience, those press events. I'm not talking on a talk show or you know, things or like that. But
0: that's not at all what we do here.
2: <laughs> well, you, you can try to gotcha all you want. We're, we're playing. I feel safe. Aww. But when you don't know someone and they're going in with kind of like this weird energy and you're like, oh God, oh, yeah. it's one oh, of yeah. these situations. Mm-hmm. And this guy was like, so what are you going to tell your kids about like uh. how screwed up you were? And first I wanted to like, you know. Level him. Yeah, I, that's d- really, I did. That, I was yeah. like, I'm going to. Like, get you! How and awful. I'm so yeah. rebellious that it, I was just like, oh, God damn it! i am got to keep it together! <laughs> this guard comes in here with it, ah! And then I was like, well, first of all, you know what I'm saying to you, and it, it is the middle finger in words, A, <laughs> B, I, I, I'm going to be very honest with them. Like, mm. As far as I'm not going to be giving them tutorials on my life, but if and when they come across something that I'm saying what not to do, I'm going to be like, and that actually is my reasoning because I have tried it and Mm. I understand my lessons are not your lessons and you have to live your life. But it's funny. I have tried those things and it made me come full circle and Mm. I just don't that isn't what I what I'm into now and why I'm probably so much more about like health, safety, pillars of appropriateness, for you to be good girls is, you know, I, I did get to try a lot of different colors and I mm. found the ones that I love the most. Mm. Um, so, you know, I, I I do hope to not in an oversharing way, not in a patronizing. I hate being patronized. Oh, I, if you want me to do something patronize me and I'll go right and do it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But I do hope to just bring a raw, honest vulnerability and a sense of humor and a lack of judgment and a lack of patronizing my kids and just keep it as real as possible and empathetic and understanding. I didn't listen much when I was Mm. growing up, but I, I didn't really have that traditional set of parents. And I do have hope. And wonder that I could be that for my kids. And then they really will have a different attitude and experience in life. Because I do think when kids have people caring and shaping and being there for all of the good and the tough and everything in between, that has to have an effect. I oh, yeah. don't know. It does. experience, but I'm hoping to God it does. It does.
3: Okay, wait, Drew, we know you have to go, but we have one final question. It can take just 30 seconds. If you could go back and say something to Drew at
2: 12, what would you say? I would have said, I know you're not going to listen to this, so I'm not going to (laughs) bother.
0: Wow. That's all right. right. Thank you, Drew. This has been a delight. Thank you, Drew. Thank you guys so much for having me.
2: Okay, thank you. That means so much. It really does. And As the mother of two daughters, I hope that my girls can... Be sitting on a couch talking about family and parenting Aww. and how to be in this world like you guys. You're Thank such you're every true. mother's dream of an example Aww. of how their daughters will turn out. So, Thank thanks for all so the sweet. things you said. I will hold them in my heart. Likewise.
0: We recorded it just in case you forget.
1: <laughs> Thank God.
0: <laughs> She's just... I actually felt like a like there was a balloon in my chest at points. I'm not kidding. It was right around the E.T. thing, and E.T. Yeah. kind of did have a balloon in his <laughs> chest. Really, really some special quality to that person right there, don't you think?
1: I felt so starstruck at the beginning, and it's the first guest that I've really she felt that way. She is kind
0: of a figure in, in a lot of people's lives, like millions upon millions of people's lives, you know. I
3: mean, yeah. when you say you had a balloon in your chest, that's how I feel, too. She's just like lightness and joy. And yeah. I loved her.
0: <laughs> okay. My favorite part was probably when we were talking about ET and she became emotional talking about mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg. She said at one point, like, don't mean a name drop, but <laughs> they're clearly like so, so, so close. She's mm-hmm. her
1: godfather. Really? <gasps> yeah. Right. yeah. And oh my god. And there's
0: just something about how she's been through the ringer in a sense in the industry, but at the same time, the way she makes me feel, specifically about being in the business, quote unquote, that is very encouraging.
1: My favorite part, I had two. One was when she showed us the picture with Steven Spielberg. Mm -hmm. It was just so tender. And and the expression on her face and how she had come into that. Conversation was really meaningful and when she said hi to my dad because it was also so gracious and so generous to like ask for his name and to do it and I know it's going to mean so much to him so I really love that. It will, yeah. yeah. I
3: was going to say mine is way more selfish uh, because, you know, what I was first going to say is her life-changing moment on E.T. I thought that was so sweet. So
0: you're taking mine.
3: Well, you took mine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, my my more superficial, more selfish moment was at the beginning you, you all might have missed it but I definitely didn't. She said I love you to me. She did, she because did Because I used yeah. the word She was talking about my show though Shut up, shut up, shut up, up, Don't <laughs> take <laughs> this away from me
1: <laughs> No, she did She said she I love you to She said Sophie. I love
3: you Because I used the word Mellifluous Which is probably The only large word I know So yeah. thank God
1: I used it mm.
0: <laughs> The yeah. teacher used her One big word <laughs> yeah.
1: drew every day on the drew barrymore show streaming on cbs and you can keep up with her on instagram at drew barrymore before we go we wanted to tell you we're hosting a middle school dance themed launch party for pod in new york city yes you heard that right our launch party is a back to middle school dance happening on thursday june 2nd in brooklyn new york We'll all be there, dressed to the nines and dancing to the best songs of the 90s and 2000s. Tickets are available now at podcrush.com. Go quick before they sell out. That's podcrush.com.
3: Podcrushed is hosted by Penn Badgley, Nava Kavalin, and Sophie Ansari.
1: Our executive producer is Nora Ritchie from Stitcher.
3: Our lead producer and editor is David Ansari. Our secondary editor is Sharaf and Twistle. Special thanks to Peter Clowney, VP of Content at Stitcher, Eric Eddings, Director of Lifestyle Programming at Stitcher, Jared O'Connell and Brendan Brines for the tech support, and Shruti Marate, who transcribes our tape.
1: Podcrush was created by Nava Kavalin and is executive produced by Penn Badgley and Nava Kavalin and produced by Sophie Ansari. This podcast is a Ninth Mode production. Be sure to subscribe to Podcrush. You can find us on Stitcher, the SiriusXM app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. If you'd like to submit a middle school story, go to podcrush.com and give us every detail.
3: And while you're online, be sure to follow us on socials, or we're telling everyone that your mom still walks you to the bus stop. You don't want that. It's at Podcrush, spelled how it sounds. And our personals are at Pem Badgley, at Nava, that's Nava with three N's, and at Scribble by Sophie. And we're out. See you next week.
2: She would just walk up to you and go, Are there mirrors on the ceiling when you're doing it to your honey? Whoa. (laughs) No, Lillian, no. There are not mirrors on the ceiling when I'm doing it to my honey. You paid a quarter for an orgasm. Stitcher.
1: Have you ever spotted McDonald's hot, crispy fries right as they're being scooped into the carton? And time just stands still. ba da